This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher. I know people don't like that, but you should be welcoming a stronger economy. Maybe a deal has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Welcome to Comedian versus Economist, our first for 2023. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? I'm doing very well, thank you. Happy New Uh Year. Oh, and to you, and to you. I've been busy. I learned a lot over the break. I've I've been researching. Turns out that with my fry pan set on a medium heat, it takes the exact same time to fry an egg as it takes my toaster to perfectly cook my toast. <laughs> so, ah, like, yeah, 2023, looking pretty good right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, new, new year, new intro music. Uh, mm. What did you think? Did you pick all the voices? Yeah, tell us what you think. Even better, tell you what, first person to send us an email correctly naming all the voices will... I don't know, win a hat. <laughs> it, won't, it won't be a CVE hat. We don't have any merch, but it'll be a hat of some kind. So if you can correctly identify all of the voices in the new intro and send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE, you will win a hat <laughs> to be determined. I have to see what hats I've got. Uh, have you got any hats? You don't look like a hat. You're not a hat guy. No, I got too much hair for hats, mm. really. Yeah. It's a problem. <laughs> but I do like to be sun smart. So. <laughs> I saw your hat, you'd cut the center of it out. It's like yeah. it's a ring. It's like a don't you're wearing a donut on your head instead of a hat. Mm. Um, hey, shout out to Alex, George, Arkash, and DW for sending us messages too during the break saying when are you guys coming back? Nice to be missed. So thank you for those messages. Uh, but Thomas, massive show coming up. Um, we're going to find out what's up with the housing market, not prices, that's for sure. Uh, we'll see what your prospects are for buying a house look like in 2023. Um, little fun fact, everyone's using ChatGPT at the moment, right? And I asked ChatGPT for a housing market pun and it gave me, the housing market is on the rise. It's finally starting to roof again. <laughs> so I'm not sure, pun, not sure puns are... Chat GPT's strong point. Uh, we've got some population data out of China. My understanding is there's still heaps of people there. Uh, we'll see if we can perhaps uncover some more nuance in the data. <laughs> and could 2023 be the year of mega threats? 
I sure hope so. Remember the 90s anti-terrorism ad, be alert but not alarmed. Pretty pretty hard to not be alarmed when you're hearing about mega threats. Mm. Uh, so we'll see what they are and if they're as scary as they sound. But Thomas, nine reasons for optimism from Dr. Shane Oliver. Perhaps he didn't get the memo on mega threats. Mm. Let's start there. Let's start with some positivity for the new year, a bit of optimism. What are we looking at here? Yeah, so so Shane Oliver from AMP, he's been around for ages, one of the most well-known and best economists in the country. He sort of wrote a report at the start of the year just outlining what he thought was going to happen, but he had the nine... He did, he did outline some risks, but overall he, mm. was, he was pretty optimistic about the prospects for things, gave mm. us nine reasons. So I thought that's a good way to just get our feet in 2023 and see where we're at. Mm. So number one is that long-term inflation expectations remain low. So thinking about inflation, inflation's higher, came in a bit higher um, December quarter, surprise to the upside. So there's a little bit of a shock there. But kind of the key thing is that you don't want to happen is for inflation expectations to get anchored in. Because once people start expecting inflation, then that feeds into their their decisions and that mm. kind of becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so we have these we have these measures of expectations. So they just ask people, what do you think inflation is going to be next mm. year, the year after? Even though inflation has been quite high, inflation expectations haven't really ratcheted up. Right. Mm. Why not? Denial? Maybe denial, maybe an inability to understand basic economic concepts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go with denial. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe people aren't listening to enough popular economics podcasts. I did. I read the article you sent. It said <laughs> investors are now bombarded with irrelevant, low quality, and conflicting information, which which confuses and adds to the uncertainty. <laughs> well, that's not the best review, review we've ever had. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think you know you've had we've had one year of of quite high inflation, and it sort of mm. follows about twenty years of really low inflation. Mm. And so, it's I think people are just discounting one year. It's like, well, inflation's been low my entire adult life hmm. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna just shift expectations just on the back of one year's worth of data they might also be thinking it's transitory they could yes they might be they might be like on the transitory side still because mm. because mm. they listened to what people said six months ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well and 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 there is and this comes into to oliver's second point is that mm. inflate he reckons inflation has likely peaked Right. We did get some services inflation in the December quarter in the, in the latest read, but still largely a good story. So it's still largely a supply bottlenecks story. Um, AMP published their pipeline inflation indicator, oh, which yeah. mashes together energy, agricultural, agricultural commodities, semiconductor prices, shipping rates, and s- some other things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I realize, I realize I'm bombarding you with irrelevant, <laughs> irrelevant, low quality. Yeah, so they have a pipeline indicator which does track headline inflation well and tends to lead it by a couple of quarters, mm. um, and that's that's coming off pretty quickly, right. heading heading back towards zero even. So, so this is good news, right? Inflation's coming down. Yeah, yeah, you'd say that. Like, hmm. no one, no one likes inflation. No too much so yeah so that that's good news and that means that people's yeah 
inflation expectations are, yeah, are probably right that they're not ratcheting them up. The other point, which comes into Oliver's point three, is that he reckons the major central banks are close to done. So we might get another hike or two out of most of them, but we're pretty much done. I feel like he's stretched one point across three points. Yeah. He's, he's, going, he's going for like a power number with nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we decided to break up point one into three three points. Yeah, yeah. We well, can't bombard people with two, <laughs> two points. <laughs> Doesn't feel like a bombardment if it's just two. <laughs> That's what people want. They don't want yeah. to be bombarded. They want... <laughs> So that, yeah, so I mean, they're all related, but that's, that's, yep, yeah, that's the reality that he's pointing to. And I think he's probably right. I think we might get, I think we'll definitely get one more out of the RBA in February. March mm. is maybe 50 50 at this stage, would be my guess. Right. So, yeah, out of the RBA. And, and yeah, a few, of, a few of the big, big central banks went paused, like Japan, I think just decided not to hike rates at the last meeting. And that was a bit of a surprise. And there's mm. a few, there's a few doing that. I feel like they may be like, trying too hard if they're thinking about like just manage the money right like manage the interest rates manage inflation don't try and manage people's expectations as well like you're kind of going well we need to control what people like how people are thinking about it and like it seems like misdirected effort maybe to to be trying to do that yeah. like people just think what they think won't they uh... I mean, it's one. It's, it, it it definitely feeds into it. It's it's part of the part of the mm. reality. I mean, the whole reason we have independent central banks that we we mm. gave them statutory independence was to try to anchor expectations, so that right. people could trust monetary policy, could trust that it was going to do the right thing at the right time, wasn't mm. going to have political interference, and then because you could trust that, you could anchor your inflation expectations around the target, that two three percent target or whatever. This each central bank's working with. That was the whole idea of having that was was to anchor people's expectations because one, right. if you can do that, then it becomes the rest is easy. You almost don't mm. need to do anything more than that and you don't need to mess with interest rates because once you mess with interest rates, it does have these other consequences like when you're when you slight, when you when they cut, when you cut them to the floor, that jacks up asset prices. Mm. When you raise them, that sort of in, you know, increases borrowing costs for firms. So yeah, ideally you mm. don't want to mess with interest rates too much and if you can just anchor expectations and that gives you a bit of a free kick. That's probably also why most most other governors didn't predict interest rates in three years' time. Like, <laughs> like when Phil Lowe said there won't be any interest rate rises till 2024, he kind of diversion from the managing expectations playbook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, I digress. Mm. What's point four? Point four, uh, China's uh, reopening. Oh, yeah. Um, so that good. Yeah, because of the low interest rates and the anchor <laughs> inflationary expectations. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no, China's moving away from zero COVID, so they're not they're not locking down their economy anymore. And then that should, you know, it's it's one of the key pistons of the global economy, so that should should help things out. Last I checked, they'd moved from zero COVID to max COVID. Max COVID. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's just part of the reopening, I get it. But, yeah, mm. sounds like uh, – and I, I think because we just had uh, Chinese New Year as well, Lunar mm, New Year, mm. and they're saying that, yeah, maybe there's going to be an explosion of COVID as mm. a result, but only one way is through it. So, mm. all right, yeah. point five. Point five, the US dollar looks like it's peaked against emerging economies. So the resurgent Same. US dollar in the second half of last year – uh, was creating a lot of headaches for emerging economies. We talked about this with Sri Lanka and Turkey a bit mm. last year. 
yeah, because their debt's denominated in US dollars, that creates some headaches, but it looks like it's peaked. It looks like those debt crises are kind of stabilizing. Uh, so maybe we, we're okay on that front. Or it's right. not going to get any worse. So that's why hmm. we, that's why he's listing that one. Okay. Number six is he reckons the worst of COVID is behind us in Australia. And that yep. Seems like. Again. 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 <laughs> 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 We're out of the woods <laughs> again. Yeah. Just yeah. hope we don't run into any more woods. Well, see, you don't know though, do you? I mean. No. Nah, yeah. Well, no. Nah. But I think, I mean, I think it's probably it does that, feel that way, be, definitely. It does yeah, feel that way. And that, I yeah. mean, that'd have to be a central scenario. Hmm. It'd be surprising to get a resurgent COVID. Yeah. But, you know, never know, could get another variant. Hmm. Mm. Uh, number seven is we should avoid recession. We should, uh, we should keep the unemployment rate low. Right. I thought he was giving advice. You should, <laughs> should. avoid recession. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My professional advice. <laughs> Not, not financial advice. <laughs> Avoid recessions. Four out of five economists recommend. <laughs> uh, number eight is that the geopolitics um, might not be as threatening as it was. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the strongman authoritarians are on the nose a bit. So, yeah, democracy's going to get a bit more back in favour and the, the war in Ukraine feels like it's still a tragedy but it's, it's, not, so, uh, it's not so unpredictable. Right. So that, that sort of that less uncertainty is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then number nine is that we're in a US midterm election year and there's this weird thing where US... That was th- last year. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. We're in, we're in a post-US midterm election <laughs> year. <laughs> Low quality, conflicting information. <laughs> but lots of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there's there's this weird there's this weird thing where the where the middle years of a presidency, the U.S. share market consistently outperforms other year, the other uh, the shoulder years of a U.S. presidency. Right. Yeah. There's, and then there's no there's no economic reason for it. So everyone it's sort of people talk about it in the markets. I mean, it's a bit weird, but it mm. just tends to play out that way. Like the Santa rally. Yeah. Yeah. A bit like that. A bit like that. No mm. good reason for it, but it just tends to happen. Yeah, or not happen as the case was last Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But, give, but given 2022 was, you know, a bear market for most of it, that mm. sets us up for, a, you know, potentially a good year in the US market and where the US market goes, the Aussies should follow. Mm. So that's a uh, reason to be optimistic. Terrific. And how are you feeling? Are you feeling optimistic or are you? Um, yeah, I am. I think, I, I mean, I've been reading a little too much about the um, AI apocalypse, and the, potential, <laughs> the potential of that, potential collapse of the ecosystem. Hmm. A bit like, yeah, whatever. Oh, go, it's a nice segue to mega threats though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Thomas, we've had the good news. Give me the bad news. Mm. Give it to me straight. Yeah. I can take it. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bears out there that you could go to, but I think mm. our, our go-to bear is Dr. Doom. Doctor, ah, he's back. He's back. We yeah. talked about him early in the podcast, like maybe, ah, it must be like maybe only 10 episodes in or something, I reckon Dr. Doom, Dr. Doom first arrived. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he gets a lot of press because he's, mm. he's like just a, a notorious bear. Mm. Yeah, Norio Rubini is the uh, professor at somewhere some stern business school or something like that. He's just written a book, Mega Threats, 10 Dangerous Trends That Imperil Our Future and How to Survive Them. Ooh. Mm. (laughs) Some book. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can, have you read it? You haven't read it? No, no. no. Are you going to read it? No. I haven't no. got time for that. I but probably won't. I read a blog about it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready for some low-quality data. <laughs> Uh, okay so what do we got yeah yeah so number one he reckons that um low inflation has now given way to high inflation and that's getting entrenched that that's not going anywhere so hang on so he's saying inflation's here to stay yeah but the other guy was um dr shane oliver was saying Mm. it's going to come down like it's already peaked yes yeah yeah i know yeah yeah and 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 this could this could happen like yeah you, you could you could double peak. You could get a double double peak in the, like in the, in the stagflationary seventies. You had this in Australia. Inflation mm. peaked and then started to come off, and central banks took it easy a bit, and then it bounced back, and you had a double peak. But yeah, so he reckons it's sort of more a bit more structural, and that it's that it's not going away anytime soon. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Number two is, is we're looking at secular stagnation. So Oof. yeah, so we're going to look at looking at a period of perpetually low growth owing to weak aggregate demand okay that weak demand and like like, like the idea here is like we've just built everything we need to build and consumers have consumed everything they need to consume and going forward we just need less stuff as as households as society Mm. you know like so the the, in the post-war years 60s and 70s there was a lot to build we had to rebuild infrastructure and there's new stuff to build we're Mm. sort of past that and this sort of like talk about this stagnation there's just not as much stuff that needs to happen which is why inflation's come down and interest rates have come down because there's actually a a surplus of money that people just don't need to invest so much Mm. that's one of the ideas but he's saying yeah and that's because we've got inflation in that story then we're looking at stagflation and so we're looking at an extended period of stagflation. But I mean, I always find things to buy. Like I bought a new TV over the break because uh, my old one was needed to be replaced. Yeah, yeah. So and I needed I needed QD OLED. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. But I, did you sell on your old one? Uh, no, I put it outside. Oh, oh okay. Mm. Did you sell the one that was outside? I gave it to a friend. Oh, okay, right, right. Mm. So he so he didn't need to buy one. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> he he does if he wants sound though, because that one the sound didn't work. Oh, that was, what, that was the that was the start of the house of cards of the new uh, TV purchase in the lounge room. Right, right. So yeah. Mm, mm. Anyway, I feel like we're <laughs> bombarding people. <laughs> I feel like we're maybe not hitting the hitting the exact mark where Nouriel Rabini was yeah. was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, num- number three is an, a glut of televisions. <laughs> <laughs> We've reached peak, peak television. Peak television, yeah. Mm. Now, number three is rising interest rates, mm-hmm. um, and he reckons that risks uh, sparking a debt crisis is that we're so leveraged now that we're very sensitive to, to lifting interest rates, and if we have to fight this you know, stagflation with higher interest rates, that risks triggering a debt crisis. Hmm. And you know, and each we could have a potential like this cascading debt crisis, saying that's a real fear. Like, uh, I think we talked about this with the the UK bond market. Like, if one if the UK bond market went over, it, there's so many sectors of the global economy that are exposed to that that it risks cascading and bringing down everything. Hmm. And he reckons that that raising interest rates are a much scarier prospect than people are, are factoring in. But that's kind of predicated on inflation staying high. Like 
Yes. Banks will keep raising interest rates if inflation stays high, mm. which yeah. he's relying. Like he's saying, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. But the other guy was like, nah, that'll come off, and then yeah. therefore interest rates will come down. So they're kind of a bit like cumulative, aren't they? Like they're sort of snowballed yeah. together. So yeah, yeah, it's easy to have. It's easy to kind of make a prediction of of rising interest rates if you're also saying that inflation is going to stay high. Yeah. I mean, but this is this is the game, right? This is what economists are trying to do. They're trying to paint a consistent story. Right. Like you couldn't go out. You couldn't go out and say, <laughs> "I I see inflation <laughs> remaining low, but central <laughs> banks are going to jack up interest rates." <laughs> what? Doesn't make sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So he's yeah, he's just breaking down his picture, helping us mm. see it. Yeah, like he's yeah, he's he does not agree with Shane Oliver. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, point four is that. The age of hyper-globalization is giving way to deglobalization. So we're moving mm. towards protectionism, reshoring, friendshoring. Oh, yeah. We talked about that last year too. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Moving away from just-in-time supply chains. Um, he's saying all of that is – it slows down trade but it's also inflationary because all of the, the cost benefits that, that came with globalization are going to be reversed. Right. Um, yeah, so it feeds into our inflation story. Right, so as, as, well. as companies move their manufacturing to more expensive places, that's all going to that's going to create inflation because they've got to put their prices up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Mm. Uh, number five is he's more worried about geopolitical threats. Reckons there's more risks of cold and hot wars breaking out and more fracturing of the global economy. Right. Yeah, I don't know where you stand on that one. Who me? No, I don't care what you think about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty strong views if you, if you got time. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, no, tell us about the balkanizing of the global economy, Adam. <laughs> oh, like, I think once you start balkanizing anything, it's, it never ends well. That's right. Yeah. Number six is mm. that climate change is ramping up. The impacts are becoming more severe and much faster pace than had been factored in. I think mm-hmm. I think that's probably right. I probably agree with him on that one. I think the you know look at the floods in New Zealand is a bit of a shock. In, you know, yeah. just count how many kind of extreme events we've had in the past twelve eighteen months. It's kind of kind of insane. Auckland got half of London's annual rainfall in twenty four hours. Wow! Yeah, ridiculous. Wow! London, not exactly you know yeah. small fry when it comes to <laughs> rain. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a specialist. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating because like you know people have been predicting this for twenty years. It's finally here. Mm. Okay, number seven. He reckons that pandemics are becoming more frequent, virulent, and costly. Mm-hmm. Again, not my area of expertise, but you know maybe you make that case. We've had one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not sure yeah i guess if we have another one that becomes pretty frequent but if we don't yeah frequency is probably not the word i'd use to describe yeah you need pandemics. at least three data points to establish frequency <laughs> don't you but 1920s spanish flu yeah COVID. Um, we had we had bird flu oh yes. like we had some little mini ones didn't we that we got yeah. on top of. Would you call them a pandemic? I don't know if you call them a pandemic. No, I don't know. I have no. I, I don't know the definition. There's what is there? Pandemic, epidemic, mm. um, paramedic, paramedic, <laughs> systemic. There's lots of lots of emics. Yes, Djokovic. Djokovic. <laughs> <laughs> 
most recent one that comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes. All right. Yeah. So number eight, (laughs) moving right along. Um, Number eight is that artificial intelligence uh, is going to just wipe out a whole bunch of jobs and Mm. and that's going to create a lot lot more inequality. This is something I do worry about myself. I've been, I was, you know, I spent the first half of summer quite excited about AI and then Mm. the more I look at it, the more concerned I am about where we're heading with it. I did work out that through AI we could reproduce this podcast without us being involved at all. Like Mm. we can have ChatGPT write us a script and then there's a new AI which has not been released yet which is able to reproduce anybody's voice with I think based on something stupid, like six seconds of audio of wow. that person. Wow. So we could literally have ChatGPT write a podcast script and then automatically like make an API call to this other, this voice generator and it could be you and me having a conversation. We'll get some artwork knocked together by Dali or whatever it is mm-hmm. and we, we pretty much take this year off, I reckon, Tom. <laughs> 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 if you want early days very early, day, early days it is and there's only gonna be a lot of good there's a lot of bad but like what i've been looking yeah. at i'm just like wow like and it's and it's just so quick this is like where i think like where we are going to be in five years mm. i think it'll destroy jobs much quickly more quickly than it will create jobs is oh, that's the fear i mean i, I don't know and I, it's a bit hard to sort of balance it all out but. i would think our parents had the same fear about computers though like personal computers would have been similar kind of vibes Job losses. I don't think so. I mean, but I think that's the thing. Like we've got we've got the introduction of computers as a benchmark for speed, and I think mm. AI is going to like ramp up at exponentially faster than computers did. Mm. And com- we know that computers created a lot of disruption. It, it created a lot of unemployment, also created a lot of jobs. But it was at a time scale that was. I feel like much more manageable. Right. You reckon this will just be quicker? I reckon it'll be quicker. And I think that just gives us less time to adapt. You know, like someone who got laid off from the typing pool had time to like skill up in word processing and Mm. find a new job. Like I think it'll just come for so many jobs so quickly. You won't even know where to skill up. Mm. You know, you'll, you'll skill up in another industry and then that'll get automated. The trick though, there'll be this sweet spot in the middle where if you can act quickly enough and utilise AI, chat GPT and all these things before your manager realises that you're mm. utilising them, yeah. that you could effectively outsource your own job to AI and mm. pretty much just run like maybe a year or two of, of doing some pretty high-quality work. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, uh, and with minimal to no effort. So mm. make hay while the sun shines would be my advice. Mm. We've got more. more. Oh, yeah, number nine, just the last one. last one there is he reckons that uh, democratic capitalism is on the ropes that there's the rise of populist and authoritarian militaristic extremes. These guys, did they get the same list? <laughs> they got the same list, didn't they? And one of them went, well, I'll just say, like, why all of these things are good. And the other one went, I'll just tell you why they're all bad. Mm. And like, they've all named the same things, but they've had opposing views about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, I mean, we are naming the big themes of the of the moment. So, mm. yeah, Rubini is, is a bear. So he's taking a bearish mm. view on all of them. Yeah, mm. so he's, yeah, he's definitely disagreeing. Number 10 is Shane Oliver's a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Them's fine words from Dr. Doom. <laughs> is Dr. Doom even a real doctor? That's the other question <laughs> I've got. <Is> he... <laughs> Where did he get his PhD? 
Uh, all right, let's take a, a moment to digest all the positivity and all the negativity and some kind of come out somewhere in the middle. Uh, we'll take a short break here, grab a word from our sponsors and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Uh, thank you for joining us again in 2023. If you do like the show, you're enjoying the show, uh, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. That would help us out enormously. Uh, or send us an email if you like, cve at equitymates.com or via the website, equitymates.com forward slash cve. Thomas, I want to talk about the housing market. Uh, where's the housing market at? Any good news for people wanting to buy a house? Oh, there really isn't. No, hmm. there's no... No, not I hate no. to I hate to be Doctor Doom, but <laughs> right, yeah, no, I mean, thanks ha- for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Good inclusion, excellent choice of topic for this week's show. <laughs> yeah, no, house prices, house prices are still falling, and look set to continue falling. Um, housing finance data has come off a pretty significant way, which tends to lead house prices. CoreLogic have a leading indicator based on different activity metrics that's coming off pretty quickly so we're probably i think we're down about 10 percent now people are looking at sort of 15 percent total i think that might stretch to sort of 20 depending on how the fixed rate reset happens so mm. maybe doing that but that's we're still up well on on pre-covid level so that is good news for people wanting to buy a house if if houses are coming down well, it is, but rents are exploding uh, in, in a pretty crazy way. And I talked with Sasha about this on the dive this week, so maybe jump over that for the, for the full story. You should you should subscribe to the dive anyway. It's an mm. excellent podcast, award winning now. The dive. Mm. So if you haven't tuned in already, find it wherever, wherever you get your podcast. Mm. Yeah, but but the rental market is going ballistic. So rents have reaccelerated. They sort of. They were growing at you know close to ten percent a year through pretty much all of twenty twenty two. Started to slow a little bit towards the end of the year, but they've since re reaccelerated. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's just running, it's just going crazy hot. Where did it come from, the rental crisis? Like, is that was it uh, a COVID thing or was it? Yeah, so mate, check out the die for the full story. But yeah, just quickly, mm. like we we had that explode that pick up in ha- in average household size. Sorry, a fall in average household size. So we uh, needed yeah. needed more homes for the same number of people. Yep, maybe it's home offices that kind of story. So yeah, we just had more people than mm. we had houses. We're we're at a shortage already, but vacancy rates uh, have fallen through the roof. The stat that really blows my mind is that the total number of homes for rent 
at the moment in Australia is down about 26%, that the lowest levels since February 2003. So there, mm. there were more homes available for rent in 2003 when the Australian population was like heaps smaller <laughs> than there are right now. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I wouldn't call it mind-blowing. Blows my mind. <laughs> Tidbit, it's barbecue worthy. I'll give you that. The Daily Mail leaked an email from Meriton Property Mm. Management. So they they own and lease out a bunch of property. They sent an email to their property managers saying, as you are aware, the market is on fire and vacancy rates are extremely low. So please ensure you're pushing rents as hard as possible. Oh, that's a a lovely gesture. Yeah, isn't that nice? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they even they even recommend signing six month leases at, if possible, so you can jack up rents in six months ah. time when they come up for. Wow! Yeah, That's so it's great to see people coming together at a time of crisis. Yeah, yeah hard, right. hard to know which which side is Team Australia really when you look at it. Right. Well, so well, is there any hope for renters? I mean, where do they go from here? New Zealand, maybe. Nah, it's flooded. flooded. Oh, yeah. No. No, I think it's it's dire times. It's not. It's, right. Yeah, it's it's a tough time to be a renter, and it's you know we've reopened the borders. They're talking about record immigration inflows this year to try and catch up, in, mm. in quotation marks. So looking at over, you know, Treasurer Chalmers was out there. They saying he expects it to come in over three hundred thousand this year. You know, through the two thousands, that it was around a hundred thousand a year, got jacked up to one hundred and eighty. Now it's three hundred thousand. So it's a huge number. All of those people need homes. Yeah. We're already in a housing crisis, so it's a bit like, it's kind of like, well, where do these people go? So what are they, is the government not thinking? Like this is, sound, this is pretty serious stuff, right? Like this is, are they not thinking about where these people are going to land and live when they get here or are they? I think A, either they're not or B, that's kind of how the housing industrial complex works. Right. Is you stuff the cities full of people and that pushes up prices and if you own properties, then hooray. Hooray. But I think I th- it really feels to me like we're pushing towards a breaking point. Like vacancy mm. rates in the capital cities are like, like 0.7%, like just just crazy tight. You mm. see see the queues outside rental homes at the moment. They're, they're just nuts. And it's going to get worse. Like I think through the rest of the year, it's going to get worse. Right. And that hurts. So the rents go up. You know, if you're a first-time buyer, you're getting you're getting hammered because you, you're paying more in rent. Yeah, your borrowing costs are going up anyway. So you can't even if prices are lower, you can't get into the market. You can't get out of renting. Will it, will we see a reversal then of of the housing whatever you called it the housing dynamic of or structure? And will there be more people sort of rejoining houses? I think that's I, th- I expect so. But I think if you've got a house like. Like we're moving from work from home towards hybrid. That seems to be the the main thing. So people mm. still need those um, those home offices and those extra rooms. Mm. The and the other dynamic here is that you had this 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 flow to the regions through through COVID. That's reversing now. So people are you know had the big influx into the the regional centres. That's now reversing. People are moving toward back towards the capitals. Right. So you've got that you've got an extra flow pushing back to the capitals. So I think the regional markets won't fare as badly but mm. i think the capital city markets are, are really going to struggle can business help with this though like can business go you know we're not going to force people to come and work in the office two days a week or like if, if we fully embraced work from home and say well you know what because 
we're going to abandon hybrid because it's it's, un, it's kind of unnecessary given how much people are working from home anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think they could, but I, I just that's not going to be in their decision making. You know, like no, it, it'll be like what's what's best for the business, and and mm. it seems to be the majority of businesses are saying like we're we're okay with some work from home, but we need some work in the office mm. to make it work. So yeah, so I just don't see it reversing anytime soon. Mm. But it, like it, like I look, I look at it, and it feels like it's pushing towards a breaking point because if if there's just not enough rental properties available, or even like anything in in a reasonable price range, mm. then that's that's starting to tip people who would never be at, at risk of homelessness towards homelessness towards sleeping in cars. Mm. And once that starts to happen, then you start to get some very angry people. Yeah, yeah. But there's no easy solutions to it either. There's nothing you can you can really do to sort of knock it on the head. But well, used used car prices are coming down, so there's something. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I should shouldn't make light of that horrific situation. <laughs> uh, just you know, I only have I have very limited economic data in my head, and that was one data point that I had that I thought was relevant to the conversation. All right, Thomas. Finally, uh, we got some population data out of China. What did we learn? Yeah, China. China's in a bit of trouble. Actually, oh. yeah, things aren't things aren't looking that great. So China's population actually fell, twenty twenty two versus twenty twenty one, for the first time in sixty one years. So right. last time it happened was nineteen sixty one, which is worth noting. That was in the middle of a famine. Was the oh, last right. last time the population fell? That had the lowest the lowest birth rate on record. Mm. So we can think about the replacement birth rate as like two point one births per per couple. So mm-hmm. that that's to, to, for a stable population, you need two point one births. But there, the birth rates in China is down to one point one, which wow. is which is way off replacement. And in the big cities where the majority of the population is, it's down to zero point seven. It's not even a whole child. No. It's very couple. difficult. Yeah. So birth rates tanked. Yeah, and for the first time there were less than 10 million births for the first time since 1960. Right. Oh, I guess the big question is why? Mm. Why, is there, why is there no, why are people not having babies? So, so China had the one-child policy for, for quite a long time and it got richer. So we know that as, as countries get richer, people have mm. less kids. The, right. the economic opportunity cost of having children goes up. So if you're a subsistence farmer, there's good reason to have lots of children. But as you move to the cities and get higher pay jobs and things, children are actually expensive. Mm. Yeah. And so people just naturally tend to have less children. No, I didn't realize that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you look at, look at all the UN population forecasts, Mm. they, they tie in with the economic prospects. So you look at like Africa, for example, currently has very high birth rates, Mm. but as the UN expects Africa to become more wealthy, they expect the birth rate to go down. Right. And, and, and the population to sort of population growth to slow. Is it also to do with education facilities, birth control, like just planned pregnancies, as opposed perhaps to more, you know, just mm. improvised know. pregnancies? I, imp- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the thing. I was going to go with accidental, but yeah, yeah improvised. No, it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a whole range of factors. We don't, yeah, yeah and we don't sort of know we, what contributes to what right. exactly. But we just know that those things are correlated. As as yeah. household income goes up, birth right. rates go down. Yeah, so so those two two factors coincided. So China was worried about overpopulation, and so introduced the one child policy. But they were probably going to get, you know, move towards something like that just through through getting wealthier. 
But you have both of those things. And then the one-child policy, you know, is, is saying that they want the birth rate to be one. Mm. You know, 2.1 is replacement, birth rate should be one. So it was a, it was a mistake. And in hindsight, it was a big mistake. Mm. And it's creating these problems. And so, yeah, so you, you've got this really low birth rate. You've got a rapid aging in the, in the population. So Chinese, the Chinese population is aging faster than any population in the world. What does that mean? What do you mean they're aging faster? So you look at look at the mix of the population and you've got, you know, 10% of people are under 5, 10% are ah, under 15 right. or whatever. The right. cohort that's over 65 or past retirement age uh-huh. is is getting bigger and bigger at a faster rate than any other country on earth. Right. I thought maybe they just didn't have access to oil of Olay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they just look old. <laughs> help fight the seven signs of aging. <laughs> um, While the population in total is falling, that's actually yeah. much better than what it's actually going on because part of part of the reason why the population hasn't been falling is through increases in longevity. So mm. people are getting older and not as many people are dying and so the popula- that holds the population up. But underneath the surface, what you've got is a shift towards a much an, an older population. Right. And then in sort of 10 to 15 years, you've got, very few people in, in your working age cohort looking after lots of old people. Mm. And that's, right. a, that's a real challenge for your economy. Yeah, right. And so, and so this, this is sort of where, where, where China's at is that, yeah, they're facing a rapid, rapidly aging population and we don't have an economic model for it. We don't have, no, no country in history has ever faced, has ever seen massive population aging the way China is what China's facing. They're, it's right. the fastest aging society in human history. No, no nation has been able to hold that and continue to grow economically. Uh-huh. So China's heading for like a massive recession? Yeah, yeah, effectively. Like a, a, bit like, a bit like Japan, I think. Like, you know, Japan's sort of just been going nowhere for decades. Mm. I think China's probably facing the same thing. So we're probably, in terms of China's economic power, we're potentially close to the peak. Right. The, the, you know, the, there's gains to be made from like changing the mix of the economy towards higher value production. Mm. It's going to struggle to grow from here. Hmm. Mm. Is, there a, is there a possibility that it becomes more efficient with less people though? Like you kind of don't have to find jobs for everyone. You, you can kind of utilising AI, for example, you <laughs> yeah, start yeah. going, well, you know, we actually don't need that many people. And yeah. if, if, if we have lots of births, then we've got to find jobs and homes and everything else for them. So maybe this is a good thing. Uh, it's potentially true, but we're talking about a different model. Like, and it's, it's, this is sort of the key, you know, the, the Achilles heel of, of global economics at the moment is that without growth, mm. things start to unravel and we we start to create unemployment and yeah not if you don't have dramas yeah true true there could be a way through but Mm. we don't really know what that is it's china's going to have to improvise and and find their own way through this Mm. interesting Um, but it's yeah but it's a big challenge all right. Well, I'm available for consulting if anyone, if mm. any Chinese government officials would like to pick my brain on <laughs> best way through it. Seems, seeing as this is uncharted waters, I feel like everyone's voice should be heard. <laughs> uh, all right. That brings us to the end of the first show for 2023. Uh, quite a long one, I think, in the end. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, we love doing the show. Uh, stoked to be back uh, talking to you again. Yeah, in fact, we'd love to hear uh, what you think. Equity Mates has launched the community survey 
which helps us to understand who's engaging with Equity Mates Media across not just this podcast, but all of the podcasts from Equity Mates. It assists in uh, commercial packages and more importantly, how we can continue to improve our content to help the audience uh, on, on your money and, and your investing journey. So there's a link on obviously on the Equity Mates website. Uh, we'll also post a link in our link tree off our Instagram. There are two prize pools uh, for community members who will be automatically entered if they submit answers to all questions and provide their email address. So the first prize pool, Thomas, is mm. one $500 cash, cold hard cash. Uh, second prize is three tickets to FinFest 2023. Yes, that's right, 2023. We're doing it again. If you were at FinFest last time, uh, you know how much fun it was. Uh, so yeah, get your submissions in. Closes uh, 28th of February. Uh, shouldn't take more than about 10 minutes to complete. So if it does, uh, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe you just like to really give these things a lot of thought, which we also appreciate. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of FinFest 2023, uh, early bird <coughs> registrations are in fact now live. So uh, FinFest is locked in again November the 11th, 2023 at the Carriage Works in Sydney. Mm. Uh, ticket information, speakers, etc., will be announced later on. So, uh, yeah, head over to equitymates.com or head over to our Instagram page, CVE Podcast, uh, and you'll find the links to both of those uh, both of those things there. Uh, so that does it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, big thank you to Sasha for her work on the new intro and everything else that she does every week for this show. Uh, much appreciated. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye for now. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.